we're getting ready to have a live session. It's Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday. So I don't play jazz. I'm not a swinger. My good friend Jason Crane. Now it's jazz. Now it's jazz. Now it's now it's now it's jazz. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is a jazz interview podcast that brings you the lives and the stories of the people who make this great music. It's more than a podcast. It's also got a website at thejazzsession.com. And when you go there, you'll find links to other jazz sites along with live jazz news, reviews, and a whole lot more. The site right now also features a link to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort by several music bloggers to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. For the month of May, you can donate to the cause and be entered to win great prizes, including CD-boxed sets, DVDs, autographed and limited edition CDs, and more. Just follow the Bloggers for a Cure link at thejazzsession.com, and thank you very much in advance for helping out. On this week's show, my guest is drummer Jeff Tane Watts. You might know him from his years with Wynton Marsalis, or then his years with Branford Marsalis, or his stint as the drummer on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, or from his many, many recordings as a leader and a sideman. But however you've heard of him, you're sure to enjoy Folk's Songs, the new album by Tane and his band The Abonics. From that album, here's a Kenny Kirkland tune called Blasphemy. My guest is Jeff Tane Watts. He's got a brand new album out called Folks Songs with Tane and the Ebonics. And it features uh, a, a bunch of tunes, mostly written by Tane himself and dedicated to uh, some of the leading lights in, in the music world and the world of comedy and uh, in, in Tane's own life. And he's my guest right now. Thanks a lot for being here today. Yeah, thank you, Jason. So I want to just start uh, right off at the top um, and get you to talk a little bit about... Uh, Basquiat and and what it is about his um, his art that led you to compose a tune for. Him. Oh, I I don't know. I mean, as I became more more aware of his, his history and his his source material, like like uh like 
there, there's there's something that that I wrote in the, in the liner notes about about the 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 tune originally being about a, a being about a filmmaker, but I couldn't get past a certain point. So I mean the 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 sensibility that I was that I was going for with the with the tune, you know, I guess it. It was it was originally for for Martin Scorsese, so I'm kind of going for like a like a old uh, old New York thing, but but then timeless at the same time. Um, I I, mo- I moved to New York in uh, the early '80s, I guess 1982, and uh, and it was a, a different New York than than the one that we have that we have now, I guess uh, after after Rudolph Giuliani, and so. Um, you know, whenever I decided to have uh, to to dedicate it to a painter instead of a filmmaker, um, Basquiat was kind of that choice because that's like kind of like the period. You know, I, I could I could see some of some of his work in the city, and uh, his I don't know his work it's 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 informed by some like a certain amount of abstract stuff and a certain amount of like classic structure. But then, if of course uh, with with the, the graffiti that he, that he would do, you know, it reflected like New York right at that time. But then a certain amount of his his work has you know quotations and things that that have to do uh, with with bebop and some some historical things from from jazz music in addition to early hip hop so um you know just that that cross section of things those elements and things that were present in New York at the time when whenever I got there um you know it's you know he kind of kind of represents that that for me Is New York different now as you look at it? Um, New York City now is um, markedly safer, much more tourist friendly, and uh, and property values are, are soaring, and it's all good. But it's easily a more boring place as a result. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I mean. I don't know something something about New York back then. It just it kind of felt more like like a large city in in Europe or something. You know, it just had I don't know there, there was less less uh, dependence upon the tourist trade. You know, it you know New York just kind of assumed that it was it was the greatest city in the world and and it just had like a I don't know just like like a, a gritty gritty feeling to it and and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, now it's now it's a lot safer. It's definitely a lot safer, but um, but it, but it just it just feels different. I don't know. Did you go to New York right from Pittsburgh, where you grew up? No, I was I was um, I was uh, attending a uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and that's that's where I met Branford, and then I met um, you know, I moved from there to to New York to 
to be in the first, Wynton Marcellus Quintet. And I read that uh, you have the distinction of being on all of the those two Marcellus's Grammy-winning records, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> and it's very, very true. It's it's kind of it's kind of funny because this is like um, even people that know me, whenever you know, and, and other musicians, you know, whenever I whenever I discovered that that fact, you know, as I'm putting together my my press kit and my website and things like that, you know, I mean, I mean, in the big picture, a, a Grammy award is is what it is, and not necessarily reflective of of high artistry or anything, as we know from watching the telecast every year. But um, you know, it means means something to some people, and and it, and 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 it is a fact. But but I would tell people that know me reasonably well, they they or they would come to my website and see that quote, and and they would like kind of question it, like, well, what about you're the you're the only one that's on all of them? What about what about uh, Kenny Kirkland? No, he couldn't be. Um, Marcus Roberts? No, I guess not. I guess, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's 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 a coincidence that happens to be true. Talking about Branford Marsalis, uh, he 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 and his inspiration appear on this record as well uh, in a couple places. One of them is in a sequel to a tune that was on uh, that you wrote that was on his Bragtown album last year called Blackzilla. And uh, on this record, we're treated to, uh, as you say, not just the son of, but the seed of Blackzilla. Uh, talk a little bit about Blackzilla and about your your longtime relationship with Branford. The the, the Blackzilla thing it had its had its inspiration in in the actual Godzilla films and the and the and the music from that. And uh, you know there were there were just like a couple of a couple of uh, themes from that that I kind of like reworked and and twisted to 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 put into this tune. But actually I t- I will tell you I was I was sitting at home and Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla came on cable. A classic. But yeah, of course, <laughs> one of the great fine films, yes, definitely. And um <laughs> I don't know why that didn't make your filmmaker series. I mean all this Scorsese stuff. Come on, man. I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm working up to it. You know, this is it's a bigger scale, you know what That's I mean? Right. We got to we got to keep it going. But uh you know, so I mean, I was watching it, and immediately I started to, you know, I have you know, a lot of instruments in my home, so I went to my upright bass and started like creating a bass line and figuring out what I would do to to the melody to to put it into a jazzy a jazzy piece, and uh, you know, so I mean, that's that's the initial inspiration, and it and it went from being like some kind of Godzilla variations to something else, and then I, I was reminded of a. You know, there's a there's a piece uh, on Chappelle's show where he goes to, you know, he 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 says he I just got back from Japan. I I made a film of it. Check it out. Ah, and whatever. And it's and it's him as a this giant black person monster that's terrorizing Japan or something like that. <laughs> so you know, so I just decided to make it Blackzilla, you know, for him because he's, he's really funny and insightful. we 
how old were you when you first met Branford? I was 19 years old when I met Branford at Berkeley. Um, you know, if, I mean, we we kind of came together in a in a class of musicians that people that follow jazz even a little bit they kind of know about. I guess uh, I guess myself and Branford and Kevin Eubanks and Donald Harrison, Marvin Smitty Smith and Walter Beasley, Billy Kilson. Um, the drummer Tommy Campbell, the bassist uh, Victor Bailey from, from Weather Report and Madonna, and all these people. I don't know. There just happened to be a lot of musicians trying to trying to find out some stuff at the same time. So um, yeah, but I met him then, and we played a little bit, but not not a whole lot. We, we didn't, you know. Once in a while, we do an R and B gig, and uh, once in a while, like a little jam session. But um, you know, we we kind of mostly f- functioned in different circles musically while in Boston. So, but socially, you know, we would hang out and be at parties and things like that and have, and, and talk about music. And, uh, I remember him coming by my, my dormitory room with a, with a, maybe like a tape of his, uh, high school jazz, like small jazz ensemble. And it was, and it was like him and he and like a new Orleans rhythm section and, uh, went in on trumpet at about like 16 and, uh, and Donald Harrison was also involved in 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 this, and uh, I don't know. I I just I just transferred from a, from a from a classical school with like a very very good brass program, so I had some some awareness of of people having flexibility and. And, and technique on the on the on brass instruments on the trumpet and uh you know i mean Winton was already like very very amazing technically and and really fiery you know so you know so that's that's the first time i heard Winton just from him i guess the rest is history but. it seems like you and and Branford and, and particularly in the era with the two of you and Kenny Kirkland Bob Hurst that um that you and Branford in particular though just developed a, a really amazing you know, kind of musical conversation together on all the music that you did. I mean, I'm so I'm 33, and that those the, the the kind of albums that that quartet did were some of the first small group things that I started listening to um, when I got past you know the 1950s music that was all I had ever been introduced to up to that point. And I mean, just remember thinking just how you know exciting it was, and and how cool it was that there were still people making music that sounded like that. Is there Was there something about the, the relationship between the two of you? I mean, did you know right away what a good musical pairing you were? Did it take a while to, to unfold? Well, I'll tell you, Branford's thing, it's, it's kind of like his... His his voice has just like really grown and and developed over the years, but he's he's always had a a great ability to play with with people and to to fit inside of music like really really organically, really aesthetically. So I, I think I think that's what you know. I mean I mean he's a, he's a really cool band leader, but I guess um, one of one of the things that gave him a certain amount of notoriety i guess after after not playing in Winton's group was the way he could fit into different situations i think he's like he's as a horn player he's a really really great uh, great accompanist so um i don't know it's kind of like our 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 voices on our instruments we kind of kind of grew, grew up together like as as a, as adults and men and as musicians so um those those early records um Speaking for myself, I know that there were and there are some more things about the the jazz tradition and and vocabulary and things like that 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 I need for for my playing, and, it, and I'm sure it was the same for him. But um, we were able to at least have a very personal conversation between us to to build upon and augment with with recorded information and stuff like that, like learning learning more about the music. But um, 
there's definitely something about uh, Winton's first group and also, you know, the Bradford Quartet that you spoke about, you know, with Kenny Kirkland. Um, everybody everybody kind of just, like, helped each other out to have a real voice, you know. I mean, you could you could kind of look at people and look at and say this person's influenced by this and that or whatever, but, but somehow everything was... I don't know, it just kind of had a vibe, a, a urgent vibe that sounded like, you know, like some music that's happening right now that, that just happens to be jazzy. But, you know, I mean, you can hear influences, but, but you know, it, it already started to take on kind of a personal sound. saxophone players another one who uh, gets a dedication on this record and one that we lost uh, in 2006 is the the wonderful dewey redman uh can you talk a little bit about about dewey and also about what in particular caused you to pick the keith jarrett tune rotation uh, as a feature on this record yeah i have kind of like this convoluted history with with uh with keith jarrett's music there was a period of time maybe around like 1986, 87, where I'm still in Winton, Marcellus' quartet, but Branford and Kenny Kirkland were, were working with Sting, and then once in a while they would have a break in their touring, and we would get together and play and do some do some shows. And I, and I think um, one of those periods we actually came to, we came to Seattle and played someplace. I have no idea, but but this is this is probably like like mid eighties, and we and we and we played in Oakland also. But you know, Kenny Kirkland was like, "Here, man, I want you to check out some Keith Jarrett. I want you to check this out." And at the time, I was probably more into uh, just as far as rhythm sections, like John Coltrane's rhythm section of the classic quartet, and and Miles's rhythm section, you know, with Tony Williams and all that stuff. And so uh, initially. The Keith's music didn't really strike me. It was kind of he he kind of gave me an example of um, of the trio with uh, like the standards trio with Jack DeJohnette and Gary Peacock, and I would listen to it, but I but I would I wasn't really able to focus on Keith. I was kind of accustomed to the interaction of Miles's group playing standards and and other groups, and so it didn't really strike me. And then uh, you know he just basically told me that if I didn't like Keith Jarrett, that I was stupid. So, <laughs> so at that point, I was like, oh, I guess I should check out Keith Jarrett now. And so it just led me to the to his his 70s quartet, quintet with Dewey Redman and Paul Mosley and Charlie Hayden and uh, Guillermo Franco at times. And uh, I don't know, just the the music of that band was really really personal it seemed like it was all this all these different things that were going on not only in jazz but in music it just felt like all that stuff was going on at the same time uh in that music you know it was 
embracing uh, a certain amount of a pop sensibility, a certain amount of a European sensibility. They would play tune, play vamps and tunes with grooves, but then tunes with changes. And they they would play things that were very ugly and dark, and then not be ashamed to play things that are just very, very innocent and, and lyrical. And uh, you know, Dewey was a big part of that. And I, I got to I got to play with him a few times. Um, also, there's a box set. Uh, called Mysteries. I guess it's all the stuff that that group did on the Impulse label. That's right. Yeah, and, yeah, and then uh, in the accompanying booklet, uh, Keith just he just he talks about how he would kind of encourage people in that ensemble to play things that that maybe they didn't think were their strengths. So it's kind of like uh, in Keith's words, he would say that that maybe maybe Charlie and Paul Motion, you know, they they didn't feel that they were good at vamps and, and grooves and things like that, but Keith would put those things in the music. And so while they what they would come up with, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be confused with Motown or James Brown or anything like that. You know, just the fact that, you know, they're they're uncomfortable and, and trying to find something different to play, you know, it just gives the music like just a, a different character. But he also said about Dewey that, uh, you know, Dewey liked to play free and and felt like he didn't know this and that, you know, certain information on chord changes and, and whatever. But but Keith commented, like, hey, you know, I mean, I, I I think what he plays on changes is really, really beautiful and personal, and and that's exactly what it is. So I mean, he he's just like a a little bit of everything at the same time. He has like the sound of someone from the the '40s or something like that, like a real a rich rich tenor sound, and and he he represents the avant garde. He represents uh, just kind of like folk music and and uh, you know a certain piece of. Uh, that Texas thing that he shares with Ornette Coleman, just that that language and and def, easily the blues and easily the church, you know, it's just like there's so many things, and he was he was really funny too. say uh you know for me the the emotional high point of this record is is to hear the wonderful vocalist Juan Tanish um you know just back back in the recording studio and uh and reconnecting with his fans uh, that, that must have been a pretty great moment for you too I'm guessing yeah I mean you know I, I mean there's there's just something about Juan he's not the, I, and I, and I understand he's going to be he'll, he he will be taking some some vocal lessons just to really improve the <laughs> The quality of his performance. I know he's not. He's truly not the, the the best singer, but there's something about him. It's like he knows what I'm thinking, and he knows. You know, whenever I write a lyric, he knows what I'm trying to get to in the text, and 
And I just, you know, just right now, I haven't found anybody else to do that. But he, you know, he was cool. He worked really cheap. And, you know, of course, he was late. But, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was happy to have him. You know, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's great. It's rare when you find that. Yeah, you know, with, a, with another musician. So. Yeah, yeah, so need that simpatico. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. When I first came around, things were just as they should be. Up was up and down was down, and eye to eye was a mystery. But grown folks start acting grown when the world make them feel alone. It only makes you realize that it's more than you and me. Philosophers used to say. I've gone all this time without actually even mentioning the other people who are on this record along with you, and uh, maybe I'll ask you to tell us about the band and and how you put it together. Yeah, I mean, um, Marcus Strickland has has been like a like a big vital part of of, of my music for such a you know for probably about like four or five years, and um, you know I, I really like him because he's he's really open and he's really able to 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 have something to say like like a lot of a lot of the tunes that I that I that I write they have familiar elements but they're kind of put together in strange ways and definitely not textbook ways but uh no matter what I write he always has something to say on it he does, he doesn't have to figure out uh you know let me learn this different type of form or this different type of progression and then I'll you know, you know, start to be able to to construct a solo upon it. Like he 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 instantly has something to say. So it's uh, it kind of it kind of helps me as a composer. You know, I, I feel that when you whenever you write new music and stuff that's not typical, uh, you need musicians that are open because I I feel like the tune is like a like a baby or like a like a, like a you know like just like a a baby or a flame or something that you just have to keep going you like like you need musicians that that breathe life into the into the music and and whatever and like and believe in the song so that they they come to life as soon as possible so that you you feel like you actually truly wrote a song and I get that from him David Kakoski we went to we went to Berkeley College together and he could he could always play and you know he always sounds great, and uh, just for for the the directions and things that I want to end up going going in with this ensemble, he was he was a really good choice because he just he really has. I mean, a lot of people listen to different music, but I think there's a difference between listening to different music and actually addressing it with your instrument and and being able to sit down and play examples of this and that and really really know about things. So. So I mean, um, David plays the instrument really well, and also he is a person that, uh, you know, you can sit down and talk with him about Monk's music, about Frank Zappa's music. You can talk to him about like intimately about Stevie Wonder or George Duke or or whatever, and he can sit down and play examples. Um, I guess um, early this year, I went with him to uh, to the festival in Uruguay, and we were riding to the venue with a couple of Brazilian female singers. And they got into a discussion about someone, Tonino Horta or Jao Gilberto or one of those people or whatever. And then David is just, he basically stumped them on their own music. 
It's like, you know, it's like, oh, no, the, the album with at least Regina, it was like, they played this, but then they had the medley and this this tune, and he was, like, citing lyrics. He, he's just really like a scholar of music and uh, has a great energy. Um, Christian McBride is, it's bad to say favorite, but he's, he's, He's he's trying to he's trying to leave no stone unturned as far as his instrument that's for sure. When he got to New York, I guess uh and was going to Juilliard at 18 18 years old, he he already had like a great sound and obviously had a had a lot of talent, but he's he's just doing his best to to expand on that and play everything that's possible on the bass. But I mean, just in general, I just haven't I haven't played with him enough, even though we're friends and have fun when we do play. So that's one of the main things I wanted to stimulate with with this situation. Just, just you know, create create a, a space where where we can do some playing and and challenge each other and see see what we come up with. I know that uh, while I'm talking to you right now, you're out in Seattle, right? Yes. Are uh-huh. you, what band are you out there with? Oh, I'm on I'm on kind of like a West Coast Midwest tour with Bradford Marcellus. So we're gonna play out here for four nights at a club and then uh move to Minneapolis for a couple of concerts and then I'm I'm actually gonna shoot back to New York and do uh this this kind of a memorial service for for Alice Coltrane on the seventeenth of this month. I don't know how I don't know how public it is and even if I should talk about it, but I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. But uh, I'm going to do that. Yeah, but I'm out here with Bradford. Well, I really enjoyed uh, having this chat with you, and, and thank you a lot. Obviously, you're you're busy. We're talking in your hotel before the gig, but uh, thanks a lot, man, for being on the show. I appreciate it. You take care. Thank All you. Right. For Curtis, a tune dedicated to bassist and composer Curtis Mayfield. That's by Jeff Tane Watts from his new album, Folks Songs. My thanks to Tane for appearing on this week's show. 
Until next time, you've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. Please visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com where you'll find up-to-the-minute jazz news along with links to reviews and lots of other great jazz sites and all the previous episodes of this show, which you can listen to right there on the website with no other technology necessary. You'll also find a link to subscribe to the show, and this is a pretty cool thing, and if you can do it, I ask you to do it in iTunes. It's free, costs you nothing. All you have to do is click on the subscribe link, and uh, you'll always have the latest edition of the show right there on your computer or in your iPod or your other MP3 player whenever you want it. Thanks very much for doing that if you can. In addition to hosting the jazz session, I also write interviews and reviews for allaboutjazz.com, and I've got a bunch that'll be coming out in the next several weeks, so be sure to check those out. If you want to contact me here at the jazz session, it's simple. You can send me an email at jason at thejazzsession.com, or you can send a voicemail, or actually call and leave a voicemail, as the kids say, at 585-473-5304. I hope you'll also take just a second to join the mailing list, which you'll find at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on this show, plus some other news from the jazz world. And no spam, guaranteed. The theme music for this show is by The Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Don't forget to follow the link to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort by several music bloggers to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. You can donate all this month of May and be entered for a chance to win great musical prizes. Thanks a lot for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.